0: good direct to consumer or good ott is giving a voice and a power and a control to the sports that have suffered for quite some time with an inability to own the entire end to end dialogue with their fans
1: hi welcome to the halftime snacks my name is in binder this show features the stories of talented people working in sports are you ready let's go of one of the most fantastic sports technology businesses out there joining us from oslo in norway he is an entrepreneur who's passionate about sports technology but he's mostly driven to improve the quality of the industry worldwide he's the ceo of joymo a game-changing streaming platform for clubs athletes fans and coaches where they can film games and training store content sell access to fans and so much more Additionally, he's the founder of World at Play. This charity foundation works to inspire and develop young people through sport and play. This man accepted my invitation to the show with zero hesitation, and I'm sure we're all going to learn so much from him. So buckle up for today's Halftime Snack with the one and only Mr. Mike Every
0: <laughs> what, what an intro. I feel like a wrestler. Uh, Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on on the Half Time Snacks and so excited to have a conversation with you. And I want to start right away by talking about, you know, one of the things that I realized about your background is that I don't really understood how you landed in Joymo. So I wonder what are some of the events or things that happened in your life that brought you to where you are right now.
0: Uh, I guess there's a couple of crossroads or a couple of moments that worth kind of uh, picking up on. So the first would be, uh, I wanted to become a journalist, always wanted to become a journalist. I, I did my work experience when I was 14 at a local newspaper. And then um, I studied English lit in university, always planning to get, to get into journalism. But every year during my university years in the summer, I was working at an outdoor education centre for kids. Um, And I I remember I taught one kid to climb a climbing wall and he kind of, the the difference from him at the bottom to him at the top was like it was a different person. He opened up and he just, the sense of completion and satisfaction he had when he did this climb. And later that evening he told my fellow instructor, you know, this has been the best week of my life. And this little boy, I didn't realize at the time, but he was in remission from cancer and he actually went on to die. And, and, and I was I must, I must have been 21, 22. And I thought to myself, well, hang on a second. How can I go into journalism? How can, I, how can I go down that path that I planned for myself if I knew that what I had done in helping this young boy learn to do something in sport had made such an impact on him? So I remember that evening, uh, after that evening, when I heard the news about him, I said to my dad, I, I want to create a children's charity. So that was that was a long time ago now, but I guess that was a real kind of crossroad for me where I decided to go from journalism to the charity sector, created World at Play, and that still runs today. That's been going for 15, 16 years now. And then from there, I I, I didn't really know where I was going, right? Like I created a children's charity, Where Next? I joined another children's charity called Right to Play, and I worked with a guy called Johan Koss. Now, Johan is a a four-time Olympic gold medalist from Norway and the opportunity as a young man to work with someone that had achieved four gold medals and to see how driven he was and how committed he was showed me that when you put your mind to something you can you can really do it right if you really give of yourself so yeah I, I think those two kind of big moments of I want to work in the charity sector then working alongside a former professional athlete ultimately steered me to where i am today
1: i wonder being a ceo of a sports and exciting sports technology startup such as joymo what what does it take in terms of what what personality traits do you think are necessary for such a role in 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 joymo but more more oriented towards what is it about you that makes you special or what what would you say it's it's the the thing that brought you in terms of your personality to be that kind of person
0: yeah okay i don't think it's what makes me special because then the more i work in this sector and the more i surround myself by different startups and the more i see that there is some there's a commonality i think to people that do create something and, and really commit to something. And I, uh, other than blind faith, uh, I would think that there's a great Norwegian word which is um, "truvadde," which basically is like a mix of credibility and trustworthiness. And so I think that's the first kind of trait when you create something is you need people to follow you. Whether, you, whether you're creating a children's charity and you want to go and get funders to help you run that charity or you're recruiting volunteers to work for that charity or in where I am now as the CEO of a tech company, you have to build a team, you have to get investors and and I think that people, people believe me and I think that people see that I'm honest in the way that I approach the job and that I give of everything that I have to it. And I think then, then people are more inclined to, to follow and support. So I think, yeah, true VADD, credibility and trustworthiness. And then something else that I've learned along the way is uh, humility. So uh, I get it wrong a lot. Um, and so we actually have this little thing in, in Joimo, which is it's a bit of a silly word, but it's called Mike's Boo Boo Corner where basically I will, I will admit to stuff that I've messed up along the way, things that I took the business down the wrong angle that if I hadn't, maybe we'd be further ahead. And because we well, I feel that it's okay to make a mistake. It's not, it's not okay to make lots of the same mistake, but it's okay to make a mistake. And in the startup world, the worst thing you can be is afraid. And I think if, you, if you're not afraid to make mistakes, then more often than not, it's going to go okay. So... Yeah, I think humility is really important when you're a CEO. You don't you don't have all the answers, and you're gonna mess up. And I think that standing up and taking responsibility for the things that you've got wrong is a really good trait for
1: for running a team. That's very interesting. I think that we're gonna talk a little bit more about that later. But now I want to switch over to talk more specifically about Joymo, and. You know, we talked about this in our intro call and we discussed a bit about how Joymo lands in the traditional sports broadcasting spectrum. So I want to know if you can share with us a bit of what Joymo is trying to achieve. How is it trying to fill a gap in the industry? What pain points, the value proposition? Can you can you share with us the idea of how Joymo will potentially disrupt the the sports broadcasting industry
0: sure love to so so joymo is is a live streaming content management platform but that that's just a bunch of words strung together um so so imagine 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 a pyramid right or like a triangle and imagine at the top of that triangle you have all of the elite sport from premier league football to olympics to uh, nba nhl whatever right like all the top stuff and that's where that's where all of the money is going but just like a good pyramid or good kind of triangle the the, the participation numbers are at the bottom that's where everybody is and everybody that is at the top has come from the bottom and we're trying to flip it. We're trying to basically find a way that more value can get to the bottom. And there's lots of different ways that we can do that. And there's lots of different ways that Joymo can't, we we can't get involved in every element of that kind of democratization of, of grassroots and long tail. But what we can do is provide them with a means of broadcasting that returns the most possible value back to grassroots and so in terms of who our market is as a business it is you know grassroots sports amateur sports youth sports semi-professional long tail stuff so so the more kind of um more not obscure but more the the sports that it's harder to sell rights to Um, and also we've got professional stuff as well so we've got elite level stuff And so so our market is very big and the pain points that these guys are feeling uh, when it comes to being creating content. So when it comes to live streaming or broadcasting content to fans is that they don't have a lot of control. They're not able to safeguard uh, their individuals, particularly within children's sport. They can't find a rights buyer or even worse, there's poor rights buyers out there that are not paying enough money for the content. The cost of filming is too much. And they don't, and they are walking away from their broadcast experience of using big other big social media platforms and they're not understanding their fans and they're not understanding the data behind it. Like who's watching and for how long and why are they watching that sport? So At the content creation side, Joymo empowers everyday athletes and teams whilst helping grassroots sports sustain themselves by enabling them to monetize their IP with proceeds going back directly to them. Yeah, our goal is to give these guys at the bottom of this pyramid a platform by which they can broadcast that returns as much possible value back to them so that they can develop their sports and ultimately improve the elite.
1: I wonder to what degree is it important for a business such as Joymo to know and understand their own definition of what, of, what type of business do they engage in? And I ask this because while I was doing my research on your website, for instance, I found that you guys develop a, co- a camera that can film the game for you. So in, in a way, I thought you guys are a camera company, but you're also like a streaming uh, company and you also engage with lots of like the content. So I wonder how how important it is for you guys to define exactly what it is that you do and sticking to that niche part of the business that as you may say, it's more towards the content, but it's also powered by a camera or Tell us a bit, a bit about your thoughts around
0: that. Yeah, and I think I think that's a really, really good question. And there's a, there's a little bit of history here behind the camera for for Joymo, and it might not have been the most logical place for us to start, right? So so we we always set out to create a a tool by which. Uh, teams and clubs and federations and events could broadcast better we always started there and and because of the people that you get on get on board as a young startup you get influenced by the the passions that they have and we we decided to go down the automated broadcasting route and the English expression is to put the cart before the horse because what we did was we said, well, look, this, this content has value and we're going to help you broadcast it. And it's a pain in the butt to broadcast it, you know, to have someone filming it. So here's your unmanned solution. And that, I'm not sure I'd walk that route again. But now we're in this really good position where we've got our content management platform. We've got a means of capturing content that's super easy through the Joymo app. We can accept streams from other, other cameras. So if, if cl- a club kind of has their own camera setup and they want to use that, it's fine. And on top of that, we've got this really cool piece of tech that we've developed, which is our own camera, which there's a, quite a lot of demand for it. But, you know, the, the, running a hardware business is a whole different, uh, whole different kettle of fish. So, <clears throat> yeah. It's been a journey to get where we are. I don't I don't regret going down the hardware route at all because now we're in a really great position, but it's been difficult. To create hardware is hard.
1: It's inherent in the word, so I guess that. Yeah.
0: Sense. We should have known we, we should have should have picked up on that.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that you guys tried to feel the supply chain of all the pain points that were, you know, discovered in in the in this section of sports that I felt like as you mentioned you guys tried to solve all of them at once but then once you had like most mostly the important ones they this the points started to connect and that that's that's how it made sense uh, now looking it back so I, I wonder I, I'm really excited to see where this is going to be taken in the next few years but I want to ask you more about the business model of over the top Uh, business, meaning that the way that uh, streaming and broadcasting works today and how is the direct-to-consumer type of business model that you guys are trying to adopt, disrupting the ecosystem. I I think it's related to the idea that you mentioned of democratizing the sports, the grassroots sports or the youth sports in a way can you share with us your idea of how this is shifting and where is it going in terms of the business model and how OTT will be replaced by DTC, if it will?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some, you're touching on some really big stuff there. Um, so first of all, I, I, do, I do firmly believe that over the next um, little while, next few years, fueled by, by COVID and what COVID has done to sport, we're going to see uh, a real acceleration of clubs and teams going uh, D to C, so direct to consumer. I I think it'll be fueled by a need to diversify revenues uh, alongside emerging tech, right, like ours. The cost of production, the ease of production, the ease of being able to reach out to fans. It's just... um, yeah, it, it's just kind of lubricating the whole, the whole growth of this sector. What we're trying to do... No, you asked a question about whether, you know, this idea of disrupting. And I, think, I think you need to speak to those being disrupted to ask them how it's disrupting them. But what I think is happening is, is good direct-to-consumer or good OTT is giving a voice and a power and a control to the sports be it teams or clubs or be it sports, that have suffered for quite some time with an inability to own the entire end-to-end dialogue with their fans. There is always something disrupting that conversation, right? Whether it's an advert that's plopped in by YouTube or whether it's a payment system that they, they don't have full control over. I, I, I think you know, what we're trying to do not for the elite, but for down at the very bottom of this pyramid, we're trying to give these guys and girls at the content creation level an ability to reach out to their consumers, their customers as simply and as efficiently as possible without any interruption from from another voice. And in that sense, we're trying to level the playing field, right, by removing the financial and operational barriers that stop federations and teams and clubs from being able to monetize their direct to consumer audience. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think the impact of COVID, I think the need to diversify revenues. I think the um, the way that tech is going with companies like us is just going to improve sport um, and improve the way that fans can engage with sport. And, and I really want to make it underline, I'm not talking about the top stuff, right? I, I, I'm not talking about the Premier League. And, and whenever we talk about democratization of stuff like Premier League rights, what we're really talking about is, is worsening the user experience, the customer experience. I, you know, in order to watch Premier League now, I need to basically have streaming services like three or four of them enabled to watch the Premier League. So that's not democratization. That's just, that's just more people having a part of the same pie, frankly. True democratization is about enabling grassroots sports customers, clubs rather, to go D to C well without interruption and without uh, someone disrupting that conversation.
1: I like that definition. I like it a lot. And I feel like democratization is one of the things that are being enabled due to technology you know before it wasn't as easy to get access to uh, fans athletes or any of the other stakeholders in the industry so easily and so fast so I, th- I think that we're gonna see more we're going to see more democratization of the sport in different areas of the sport not only in OTt or streaming or broadcasting as as joymo is doing and I think that's also a very kind of exciting element of the industry that I'd be looking forward to seeing and what's what I find interesting about joymo also is that their their business collects or the te- technology collects, data uh, continuously because it can either be uh, uh, streams or broadcasts or players, or I don't know what type of data you guys collect, but the I feel like data is the new currency and data is the way businesses make better decisions. So I want to know if you have any takes on The advantages of dealing with data as a company in 2021 and Mm. how do you think about it strategically how do you um, envision data as potentially an investment for your future uh, i mean the future of of joymo so how do you look at it very specifically in data
0: yeah i i'm Tremendous question. I mean, the, this is real balance within startup where you can't always make every decision of data because the data doesn't exist. But so you have to, you have to trust yourself and trust your team to make decisions going after data to get data so you can understand it. But when the data is there, you have you have to read it, you have to understand it, and you have to be, use it to make decisions. Right. So so generally speaking, for tech companies like ourselves or others. Data helps you understand your customers better, their likes, dislikes, successes, failures. You can understand the market better, current trends. You can understand your marketing efforts, how you're spending money. You can improve your internal processes and you can clear bottlenecks. So improve the way that the customers succeed with the product. You can use, you can use data to kind of make better decisions. Because the gut decision, sometimes will be right, sometimes will be wrong, but, but typically if you analyze data correctly, you, you, you will be pulling in the right direction. Now, from Joymo's perspective, we try and be a data, data-led decision-making company. Um, but we are also breaking a little bit of new ground, right? So when it comes to what people would be willing to pay to watch an under 14-year-old girl's handball game in Norway, No one could tell you that before we started doing it. And so uh, you can't can't make that decision uh, uh, based on data, right? But now we can, because we have it. So from Joymo's perspective, you know, we use data to test and analyze new features that we develop, we forecast sales trends and find out which opportunities would help us bring more revenue. We help athletes through data to analyze their performance. We help the coaches make informed decisions from game footage. Then we help, we basically providing them with a tool to, to, to read video data. Um, data basically helps us with our R&D in terms of how we improve our video pipeline and our latency. So the delay between the moment happening and the delivery to the consumer. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so, you know, we, we try our best to be a data-led organization. Of course we do, but, but I do think that do you think that the really fascinating thing with startups is that, is that balance between when there's no data and when there is data?
1: What is the future of Model?
0: That's a question that I often wake up in the middle of the night thinking about. And, and, uh, there are times when I feel incredibly emboldened by what we're doing and proud of what we've created and see that we've developed something that, that people are genuinely excited by. Um, and there are times when I think, well, the sky is the limit, right? We, you know, we can really do this now. If we get the right funders along the way, and if we get the right ability to grow, then who knows where we'll go. And then there are times when I stop and I think, oh my God, am I really trying to take on YouTube? I mean, how, how bullish is that? <laughs> but I mean, the reality is when we come down to it and we realize, no, we have a product that people need and that people enjoy, And our job is to keep creating that product and keep improving that product and keep getting people to use it and enjoying it. And as long as we do that, then the future will map itself out. I feel, um, the the, more tangibly for you. I mean, we, 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 we received some good investment last year as a business because we, we showed that what we've got is cool and exciting and people like it and it has a benefit. Uh, and, as a CEO, I've never, I never stopped fundraising, right? So um, I suspect halfway through this year, I'll put my fundraising hat on and I will start talking to, to VCs in no- the Nordics or Europe or the US that want to be part of this. Um, because once you see something, once you have something that can grow, then you need, then you need to grow it. And we're kind of there. COVID is a huge variable for us. Uh so we're just trying to we're just trying to take a big breath whilst we understand what's happening with the coronavirus and the pandemic. But once we've taken that breath, I think we're going to be ready to grow. So um yeah, let's see. Call me up in a year
1: and we'll see where we are. I definitely will, Mike. Um <laughs> but yeah, I think that what you say is is totally true. You you as a a CEO, your role is to kind of like convince me and convince everyone that (laughs) it is something that we need and I can see it uh, through your words and your passion towards Joymo and I appreciate that, Mike. I'm sure the team at Joymo appreciates it as well. And since we're running out of time, I cannot leave this uh, this interview, this awesome interview, this half-time snack without asking you about one is what is one person that you admire in the sports industry, and why?
0: You know, so I grew up, I grew up um, idolizing Eric Cantona, and I still have his shirt, uh, signed shirt, in my house. But he was just a phenomenal footballer. But you know what? I'm actually going to come down to my former, my former boss. So his name is Johan Olav Koss, and he's a four-time Olympic gold medalist speed skater from Norway. Um. I, I'm I'm impressed by his medals because I, I couldn't have done it myself. But the reason why I'm saying him is because when he when he retired from the sport, he didn't go into becoming a presenter or he didn't create a clothing company like many do. He created a global children's charity that supports millions of children across the world. So I mean he used his his pull as an athlete to do something incredibly good for others. We all we all have it in ourselves to make a difference i think uh, and johan did that on a on a scale that i yeah that i think is truly impressive
1: that is absolutely inspiring mike thank you so much for sharing i want to thank you also so much for coming to the halftime snacks i feel like this was a complete lesson on so many diverse topics like the media business data Sports broadcasting, you know, your story, you and your personality is one to admire. And I want to thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks, devoting a portion of your time to us, me, the listeners, and everyone else out there in the world. Um, Man, it was an absolute pleasure to host you, and I hope that we can do this again sometime in the future. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear these or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week!